What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast presented by House Enterprise. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye, here chatting with people with incredible stories to tell. Today is a super special episode for me. As many of you may know, especially if you've been following me and following this podcast throughout the years, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And that's something that I hold very near and dear to my heart through my involvement with the Jesse Reese Foundation. And today's guest, TJ Colette, shares the same passion to helping cure bad days for those children that are battling this life-threatening disease, delivering joy jars to kids battling cancer to help put a smile on their face when they're going through this tough time and encouraging them to never, ever give up. TJ Colette is much bigger than the baseball player that he was at the University of Kentucky. Don't get me wrong. This man had an incredible career where he now ranks number two all time at the University of Kentucky for home runs. A feat that is, that I mean, I can't even hit a baseball to save my life. So TJ had everything going for him athletically, but put that almost, I don't want to say in the rear mirror, rear mirror, excuse me, <laughs> but saw that there was much more to life than sports. This wasn't an easy road for TJ. A lot of peaks and valleys, as you'll see in this story, where he talks about being at the lowest of low and trying to find a way to find the light to get out of that. A lot of what he learned was having those outlets like the Jesse Reese Foundation and Team Nigu to lean on to realize there's so much more to life than stepping into the batter's box and hitting a ball out of the park. So I'm super excited to share TJ's story with you guys today. I hope you guys continue to learn more about TJ by following him on Instagram. We'll leave the links to all things TJ in the description of this week's podcast. But that being said, I'm so excited to introduce you guys to my dear friend, TJ Collette. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. All right, everyone, on today's episode, we have a gem of a human being here to chat with us. TJ Collette is a former Division I baseball star at the University of Kentucky, where he ranks number two on the all-time career home run chart. If there's someone that personifies bigger than sports mentality, it is this man right here. All while pursuing his degree, playing baseball at the SEC level, battling injuries, TJ found the time to care for those less fortunate through his relationship with the Jesse Reese Foundation and Team Nigu. Here to share more on his story beyond the field, please welcome TJ Collette. TJ, thank you so much for coming on, man. How are you? I am great, Jared. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor uh, for you to reach out and have me be on the show. I'm, I'm excited to talk about and dive into my life a little bit um, and kind of just give you a glimpse into um, everything that's happened. So I'm excited. Thank you. Yeah. And I like we we go way back. We didn't necessarily get to chat too much when we first met back in 2015. But you were just a, a high school kid from Terre Haute, Indiana, that was being honored at the Nigu Gala um, for all your work after the area, area code games and all that. And I was just so taken back by your ability to really dive into this at the age that you were at. Right. And and being even like from the Midwest for this organization that at the time in 2015 was pretty well known more in Orange County than anything. Right. But being so involved in the way that you were, I was like, 
one day this kid and I will be friends. And we followed each other on Instagram. And like, that's how yes, we've been. We like, like, that's how we've been interacting ever since. But I'm so excited to finally get to have this more real type of conversation here. Yes, of course. I know. Um, completely honest, at that uh, gala when we had first met, I was still shaking in my boots. I had just been fresh in the Jesse Reese Foundation. I'd, I'd done some stuff back in the Midwest in my hometown of Terre Haute, Indiana, and getting brought out to California and recognized <laughs> I was meeting. Uh, I, I, I was kind of put in the spotlight that I wasn't very uh, ready for. And uh, uh, no, it was it was a fun experience, but <laughs> I remember meeting you for sure. Um, but it yeah. was uh, intimidating. It was definitely intimidating at that time. So I'm glad that full circle we're back together and we're talking on this Zoom right now. So absolutely absolutely yeah i bet like uh the whole the disneyland and all that newport beach california i know a lot of a lot of big names were there too at the time and like you were probably just like what is going on no i had no clue what to think but no it was (laughs) looking back one of the coolest things that i've done and just an honor to be recognized by the jesse reese foundation so it was it was pretty cool but other than that yeah and we're gonna jump Yeah, we're going to jump into that in a little bit, but I obviously want to start, you know, every story has a beginning. So I want to start at your beginning. You touched a little bit about it growing up in a small town, Terre Haute, Indiana, just southwest of Indianapolis. What was life kind of like growing up in the Colette household uh, from your perspective? (laughs) Um, Honestly, it was an absolute blast. So I know you just mentioned the Colette side of it, but on my dad's side is a pretty small family that I absolutely adore. Um, can't thank them enough for how much they've supported me and been around my life. But um, my mother's side, which is the grim side, um, I'm one of 20 first cousins who all grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, um, which was an absolute incredible experience. When I was a sophomore in high school, there were seven of us walking the halls at Terre Haute North Vigo High School. Um, and I can honestly say, I don't think many people get that experience in high school. It's where you get to every single passing period, see your own blood. Um, right. So that was kind of a glimpse into what it was like living in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, but as far as my childhood goes, um, the first major event that I can remember going on in my life was I had a sister named Jackie. Um, and when she was nine years old, she passed away. I was seven. Um, she had cerebral palsy and don't even quiz me on everything else that she had, but cerebral palsy was the number one deal. Um, but she struggled a lot throughout her life. Um, and that was kind of the start of my life where I started to form some of these lessons that she had taught me from fighting every single day of her life to live until she was nine, because doctors had said she'll live a day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then she'll live a week. And then she lived a week and then she'll live. Okay. Maybe a month. And then all of a sudden she's nine years later. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously had a hard time on earth. So thank the Lord. And I'm blessed that she had the chance to move to heaven um, because she's extremely comfortable there now. Um, but that was kind of the, the start of my life, big family, um, big event early in my life with my sister that kind of laid the foundation for the rest of my life. Yeah. And kind of, looking back on it now like you said you were seven years old at the time when Jackie passed she was nine years old obviously that's a lot to take in as just a seven-year-old now being of the age that you are and looking back on it how do you think it has shaped you into the man you are today and yeah for any family 
dealing with losing a loved one, watching somebody be sick, um, that is your own. It's definitely extremely tough. But Jackie and I, my mom will tell you the exact same thing. We were raised as twins. We were only two years apart. She was fighting her stuff. I was a super active, healthy young man. Right. Um, so we were kind of always together. Mm-hmm. And we formed a type of bond that the only way I can explain it is completely personal in my heart. Like I, I can't even explain it mm-hmm. to the point where when she passed away, I remember she, this is going to sound really weird, but I remember shedding a tear at the funeral, but I felt a lot of comfort when she moved to heaven because of how much trauma and pain she had been through. Um, but overall, obviously my family suffered a lot. Um, but as a seven-year-old boy, I'm not going to pretend like I completely understood the circumstances. Right. I knew that she was my sister. I loved her to death. I knew she was sick. And then now she feels fine mm-hmm. now that she's not here. So um, definitely a crazy experience at that age. But looking back, I think God had put not, this is going to sound even more weird, but I think God had my parents have me to put some of that in perspective um, as a fresh young child looking at it from that type of perspective. Yeah. And I think too, the, like the stuff that you're doing now, whether it be with the Jesse Reese foundation and and with the kids that are battling cancers or life-threatening diseases, like being able to kind of tell Jackie's story through you being the healthy athletic young man that you are still kind of still carrying Jackie's, you know, spirit with you, her, her, her love, her, her, you know, real drive for wanting to see you become successful and all that. So I, you know, as young as you may have been when it all went down and just seeing you now and having the perspective that you have now, it's been kind of almost a full circle story. And we'll get into like how that has really turned into your work with the Jesse Reese Foundation. But I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I, I applaud you. I read, like, I have looked up to you, even though mm-hmm. a couple years younger than me, but you know, we have, we have some of our most inspirational people are mostly younger than us over at team Migu, but Again, thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's, it's great to learn that story too. Well, you have served as a role model to me as well, watching somebody a little bit older than me taking on the initiative to help children less fortunate than ourselves. Absolutely. Um, so thank, thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you're growing up, you know, and, and baseball is becoming um, more and more something, part of your life, right? Um, I, I was listening to your chat with Kate. And I, I, I crack up with him. I, I love chatting with him. He's, he's, he's the man. man. He's absolutely the man. When you said that you started to think that you could be good at baseball when you were 11, when you were the bigger guy on the little league team, actually hitting the dingers. But when did you like start to like, when did you really fall in love with the game? First of all, and, and how did it become this part of your life? Yeah. Fast forward four or five years. Um, it kind of all started when I first started to realize baseball could be a platform where I could succeed in, mm-hmm. um, we honestly, it was literally baseball, just like every other kid's dream. Um, we had a team out of Terrell, Indiana that kind of gained some traction. We're state runner ups for a few years, got kind of a little name for our little, little league team is as big as a name can get. We, we were known as a, a town that could compete. Right. Um, and then when I was 12 years old, 
we won our state championship. And that was kind of the year where I had just, to be completely honest, just completely surpassed everybody in size. <laughs> I had hit puberty a little bit earlier than everybody else. Right. I was almost this height, almost this weight. And I was given a little league bat and told me to go face some kids that might have been a little smaller than me. <laughs> and at that time, I think I'm the coolest guy in the world. I'm like, oh man, I'm the best player ever. So right. that's kind of, but at anybody that age, you can see how the love for a sport through success could start right. like that. Right. Um, right. So I started experiencing success at that age. Um, and uh, we ended up having a little, we won state, we went to this little regional thing. We were one game away from the Little League World Series, which is beside the point. I'm still a little bit salty about it, but we'll, uh, Fair. we'll Fair. fast forward <laughs> through that a little bit. <laughs> um, but anyways, we'll say, uh, when really things started to gain traction in my athletic career, we'll fast forward three years to my 15-year-old travel ball. At this point, I had switched to travel baseball. I was still playing high school baseball. I had a right. good season, but went and played in the summer. And there's this tournament called the WWBA in East Cobb, Georgia, which is like the biggest tournament of the year. I think there were 392 teams that year. Jeez. I know it's huge. The pool play was like nine games. Yeah. And then you get into a 64 team playoff and little, not little old because the Indiana Bulls was who I played for. We were well-respected in Indiana, but a lot of these teams that you're playing are national teams where they're right. from all over the country and little old Indiana Bulls ended up making to the championship game. Um, and to be completely clear and honest, I had been crushing it that tournament. <laughs> um, probably, probably the best baseball I've played my whole life. And we ended up losing the championship, but I had won the MVP of the tournament. Mm -hmm. And I remember my coach was telling me that after that tournament, everything will change. Yeah. Or because you, of the extent, yeah. Were you, Go ahead. Were you sal more salty about losing that championship game or the Little League World Series? Little League both? World Series. Yeah, everybody, yeah, wants, everybody wants to go to Williamsport. Everybody wants to go to Williamsport. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> but no, that that was still a tough loss. But honestly, we as a team, we were very, very proud of being a team from one state competing our way to the championship. Um, but anyways, um, they were right. My coaches yeah. were right. Um, I'm not kidding. Maybe 24 hours after that tournament, I started, or it's against the rules for them to contact me, but my, some colleges started contacting my travel ball organization, right. asking for phone calls. And that's kind of how my recruiting process started. Awesome. Awesome. So after this tournament, right, like you're, you're getting all this national attention from colleges and all that. And I'm sure like when it came down to like the recruiting process and, and now you kind of know the talent that you have was the plan always then to play in the play at the collegiate level or even play professionally? Like, was that now the goal, even just at 15 years old after this type of tournament? Well, yeah, the goal changed very quickly, to be honest, um, because any 15 year old that's experiencing success, all of a sudden your goals start changing. So as soon as I got that attention, yes, the right. goal was college athletics. Let's see if I can get a D2 college's um attention and then all of a sudden these bigger schools are contacting me and i was like okay then let's i i hope i can play d1 sports 
and then multiple D1 sports are contacting me and I'm like, well, we might as well try to go pro because right. with the baseball, that's, 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 that's an option. That's, right. that, that's just an option. And at 15 years old, you know, that. so, um, but also at the same time, I knew that the first step is college. So that's the focus that I took right off the bat and kind of left the professional goal on the back burner still was the driving factor behind my training and all that, but right. it was kind of pushed aside for a little bit. Right. Were, were your parents pushing more sort of towards the college education first and then professional dreams second? Yes. Yes, <laughs> of course. No, especially my mom, my dad was as well, but my dad also saw the positives of taking the risk and taking the chance while the offer was in front of me. So it was good having both perspectives. I think my dad tried to serve as a perspective of, so I saw both sides of it and could make a decision on my own. Um, But overall, obviously I ended up (laughs) making the decision to go the college route. Right. Right. So you, you make the decision to play, uh, play ball at the university of Kentucky where you made quite the impact very early on in your career, hitting a grand slam in your first career at bat for the Wildcats in a pinch hitting situation. What was that like for you playing at big blue nation coming from that small town, Indiana baseball scene to prime time sec baseball. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Jerry, you're going to laugh. Um, because I mean, looking back, you think that you're so grown, you're so mature, you have everything figured out, you know? So I had just come off of a knee surgery. Right. um, Like two two weeks before I got on the college campus. Um, So I didn't play any fall baseball. All I did was rehab and therapy. And then even the first part of the season, I wasn't able to play. But Coach Mangione allowed me to coach first base. that kind of kept me in. So I think that was his goal was to keep me plugged into the game, feel involved, learn a little bit. And on top of that, be able to travel with the team. Um, But going into the first SEC weekend, um, I just got cleared to jog and to hit, which, Hey, what does TJ Collette need? That's all we need. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But anyways, all jokes aside, um, kind of coach I told coach men's that I would love to not blow my red shirt but if it's the choice to take advantage of not using my red shirt season and trying to get some at bats and he agreed and well he said let's try to swing a little bit and he watched me swing and I did well against some pitching and he officially decided to take me um, as official as an official roster member onto our first SEC weekend that was at Texas A&M 2017 um, I actually ended up getting my first pinch hit at bat that weekend. And I'll tell you what, it was the fastest at bat I've ever had. Fastball, curveball, changeup, strikeout, walk back to the dugout. Um, and <laughs> I was so embarrassed, but I also, I couldn't feel my face. I was so nervous. Right. Um, and then the next week we played Western Kentucky. I, my second at bat got a walk. But then as far as my first at bat goes... Um, the following weekend, we played Ole Miss at home. Mm-hmm. I forget if it was a Friday or a Saturday, but it was seventh inning or eighth inning, and Coach Minch told me to come in and pinch it. We were down by a little bit, but the bases were loaded, and he obviously wanted me to go in there and try to hit a home run pretty much. Right. 
Right. <laughs> and I got, I got, I got, I got, at the time I thought I was cool, but at the, I also got very lucky. He threw me a fastball. I connected, hit a home run to center field, hit a grand slam for my first official at bat because the strike or first official hit. Right. Um, and I'll tell you what, I was rounding. I hit the home run. I don't remember rounding first base, but then I came back to, as I was almost <laughs> getting to second yeah. and I got, and I was rounding second and I was like, oh my gosh, this whole SEC baseball thing is going to be the easiest thing ever. I'm the best baseball player ever. I'm like Babe Ruth. Yeah. This is going to be a breeze. (laughs) (laughs) And lo and behold, the rest of the season, I only had one more hit and I batted under 100, um, like 0.100. I think I hit like 0.086 and got humbled extremely quickly. Got right. extremely humbled quickly. Right. Uh, but that was kind of a glimpse into my first season and what that uh, ended up looking like. So, yeah, yeah, but you still it was, have it the was story. A blast. Yeah, you still have the story of saying And that's what everything that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and the good, the good thing is that's the only thing that people remember. They don't remember me striking out the rest of the season. So. <laughs> yeah, I was on your Twitter the other day and it was like, Never forget that TJ's first official hit as a Kentucky Wildcat is a grand slam. Little did I know your first at bat was a strikeout. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yes. A very hideous, <laughs> ugly strikeout. First one. That's yep. funny. That's funny. But another impact, and maybe more importantly, another impact that you wanted to have right away on your freshman year was to get Kentucky baseball involved with the Jesse Reese Foundation. And we've talked a little bit about it here. We've talked about it on the show in the past, but for those that don't know, the Jesse Reese Foundation is a nonprofit organization centered around care rather than cure. The foundation creates George hours filled to the brim with uh, things that kids love, and we deliver them to hospitals all around the world to encourage kids fighting cancer to never, ever give up, or NIGU, just as the founder did, Jesse did, uh, during her fight with pediatric cancer. You were first introduced to the Jesse Reese Foundation uh, back in uh, when you were in high school at the Area Code Games. Can you talk about that experience, take us through your first time meeting those kids and learning about the foundation and what it meant to you? Yeah, so yeah, let's rewind like two years-ish. Yeah. Um, rewind two years um, in high school, still what some considered a high profi- profile baseball player, um, especially at that level. Um, there was a showcase like tournament that was in the baseball world known as one of the more prestigious events. And I can say that now that I'm done playing and I don't <laughs> sound as cocky. I don't sound as cocky anymore since I'm not playing. Right. But um, and the Jesse Reese found it's called the Area Code Games out of Long Beach, California. And the Jesse Reese Foundation, from what I understand, had partnered with the Area Code Games for I don't know how many years prior, but enough to where the Area Code Games knew who the Jesse Reese Foundation was. Right. And once I got to Long Beach, California, I remember there being a presentation. They invited all the players a part of the tournament into a type of ballroom area to kind of present who the Jesse Reese Foundation was. And honestly, from that moment forward, I fell in love with Jesse's mission and what she stood for. Um, I'd never heard of a foundation that focused on the child and their emotions and the care behind the child rather than, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with raising money and fighting for the cure. Like I hope one day there's a cure and the Jesse Reese Foundation doesn't even need to be a thing anymore. Right. Um, but in the meantime, 
I thought it was so cool that the Jesse Reese Foundation was taking care of these children. Um, and at that moment, I was like praying that I'd get a chance to talk to him. And lo and behold, the next day, the White Sox sponsored team was chosen to be the team that got to spend a day with four courageous kids and their super siblings and um, their family um, to get to know them a little better. So I got to spend a day with four incredible children. Um, and that just made me fall in love with the organization even more to the point where at the end of the day, I approached the Jesse Reese Foundation tent where I met now one of my best friends ever, Corey Tomlinson, um, who really um, took the chance to challenge me and encourage me to go back to the Midwest in Indiana um, and do what I can for the foundation. Absolutely. And at first, um, that meant fundraising. And I think that's their way of number one, helping getting some money to make these joy jars. But on top of that, finding out if I'm serious about helping them and right. them kind of evaluating me in a way. Um, so I went back, raised some money. And then once they found out that I was pretty serious about helping and I had a passion for um, their foundation, Corey took me on my first hospital visit. This was before I got to college, took me on my first hospital visit. And to be honest, I had never done anything like that. Yeah, I've spent some time in the hospital with my sister and it was incredible having child life or visitors come and visit our family. It could, it meant the world. Right. Um, but I had never been on the other end. And to be completely honest, I was nervous. I was nervous to go in and have conversations with children in these situations and parents and siblings. Um, but I just constantly had to remind myself that now I'm on this other end and it's my duty to even if it's just for three seconds, try to get a smile out of whether it's their parent, their sibling, or the child themselves. Um, um, so after that, about 10 minutes in, absolutely found my groove with Corey and found out how much fun these children are mm -hmm. and just fed into their optimism and joy. And um, it was very, very eye-opening. Eye-opening to the point where once I got to Kentucky, Coach Mingione um made sure that everybody in their first meeting of the season came in with a person a player or a student a person and a player goal we didn't we don't need to talk about the student and player goals but we can talk about the person goal um and my person goal was to at first it was just to connect the jesse reese foundation and university of kentucky because yeah. at the time i'm sure in the back of my head i had a vision of it turning into something bigger but at that moment it was just letting the two or people get together right um so eventually we created that relationship and found out a way that we could get um, some of the guys and coach Mingione and myself into uh, uk children's hospital and take a visit and i can't i can't remember which month that was but we did one in the fall i think it was either one in the fall or we officially got one in the spring it was forever ago now but <laughs> um we got 10 guys in uh, Coach Minja got to come. He fell in love with it. He loved seeing the children. Um, the athletic department was a big fan of what we were doing. And um, that following going into my sophomore fall, um, knew that we kind of wanted to do a little bit more than just hospital visits. So before we jump into the, the bigger and better stuff that we that you guys did with the games, I want to touch a little bit on the hospital visits because that's really where 
this type of joy is created, right? When these kids are getting their joy jars from the athletes, from the new all-stars, whether it is mm-hmm. an athlete, singer, songwriter, whatever it is, um, you know, you had mentioned being on the other end of the hospital visit, having people come visit you now seeing it kind of in a different light. Do you, did you feel that kind of bringing it back full circle, going to Jackie's story and like being on that end to brighten those kids days when all you wanted as a super sib yourself was to help brighten Jackie's day and also make your day a better, a better, you know, put a smile on your face as well. Yeah. I had to constantly remind myself and talk to my sister um, to give me that encouragement to keep moving forward and have the drive to continue to go into the children's room because quite frankly, some rooms are extremely hard and you know that Jared, Yeah. Um, some rooms yeah. you walk into that child isn't feeling it that day, which is com- obviously completely fine. Yeah. And even if that meant spending a couple minutes with them and trying to get a smile out of them, um, being on the super sub side, um, I mean, I feel like I say this to a lot of people, but even if you can force like somebody coming in to see my sister and forcing one smile, one smile can change a day. Mm-hmm one day can change a week mm-hmm. and keep moving forward. A week changes a month. And as far as these kids are going in the situation that they're in, one month can change a whole entire fight yeah. on a family's side. Like there's a, there's a domino effect and it's hard to say that one little moment can affect somebody's journey that much. It's kind of a stretch, but at the same time, that's kind of the driving factor that I learned from my sister and the people that visited my sister and how much it impacted our family and can change even weeks um, was kind of the driving factor behind me trying to get my teammates and coaches surrounded me and kind of have that same approach going into each room. Totally. And I, I remember my first hospital experience, I was with Corey, uh, Kellen Rowe and Caitlin Sandino. Mm-hmm. And what was funny, That's for awesome. me, yeah, what was funny for me was like, here I am just a, you know, division one mid-major swimmer at Providence. Right. And I'm going in the rooms with Caitlin Sandino, Olympic gold medalist, Kellen Rowe, professional soccer player. And I'm like, they're not going to want to talk to me. But what <laughs> I found very early on is the kids love athletes, period. Doesn't matter if you're if you have a gold medal around your neck, like Caitlin would when she'd walk in there or Kellen, who's obviously had a great career in the MLS, they wanted to talk to me just the same because like one or two kids loved swimming. Right. And like, that's what I could speak to. And that's not something that they necessarily get to do much anymore, if at all. Right. So what I have found is, and I'm sure you guys did too, when you guys went is sharing those stories that you may think are just so casual, even like a part of your day to day, like the last thing you probably want to do is go to hit the gym strength training, or even maybe, maybe sometimes the batting cages, but telling those stories to those kids was like the best part of their day. Cause it's not something that they get to do, but being able to kind of experience that with you was always yep. like the heartwarming type of visit. I always felt. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and that's why I love bringing teammates along with me. Yeah. Cause even though we all played baseball and then eventually we ended up bringing more than just baseball which was a huge help, but we'll get to that later. But even just having different experiences in the same room, mm-hmm. when you bring three of my teammates in the room with me, you're always going to have at least one guy that connects with the child. Um, and it's just extremely encouraging. You can automatically see their light 
their eyes light up and mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty cool experience absolutely one of my favorite stories was when we were with Caitlin and this is kind of where we got the idea to include uh, Nigu medals in the joy jars was when yep. Caitlin would always bring in her gold medal and show the kids and put it around their necks and they would be I mean obviously just light up I mean I, I can yep. be t- almost 24 years old and I'll light up if if Caitlin were to show me her gold medal right like <laughs> it's just I mean anyone will get excited about that yep. stuff yep. but then there were some instances where like the kids would think that Caitlin's giving her, giving them her medal. And it was like, Oh, like, no, but you know, (laughs) no, I need it back. I need need it back. back. (laughs) So that's when we started uh, bringing in the, the Nigu medals and being like, Caitlin would be like, here's my medal. Here's your medal. (laughs) You know? So that was so funny to me. Yeah. (laughs) Such a great approach. I love it. But so when did, um, when did it move beyond hospital visits and for you guys bringing the kids actually out to the games and experiencing life in the dugout and all that fun stuff? Um, yes. So then I move into my sophomore year after my freshman year and um, we gained some trust from the University of Kentucky and on top of that gained some trust from UK Health and Children's Hospital. Um, and we decided to try to make this a more regular thing. Now, it wasn't super regular, but in the fall, I bet you we made seven hospital visits, which do the math. I I was a communications major, so it wasn't (laughs) math isn't my thing, but (laughs) um, seven, seven Mondays out of a fall is a decently regular routine, right? Um, Where at least we'd be trying to get in there once or once a week or once every other week Mm -hmm. and coming into Fast forward a little bit, go through Christmas break, coming into my sophomore year, I approached Coach Minge and said, hey, like, I feel like we've gained some traction with UK health and child life there. I would love to see if we could get the chance to have some of these children that could sign up or UK Children's Hospital could sign up, help sign up to get them to the baseball field mm-hmm. um, during the season. Because during the season, we just didn't have that time to go there right. to the hospital. So I had a lot of help doing that. I I would love to take all the credit, but it was a lot of Corey Tomlinson. It was a lot of Eric and Stacey Reese. It was a lot of our baseball operations manager um, helping me navigate that whole circumstance and to help get those kids to the field. So um, in no way do I want to take credit for almost all the work that everybody else did, but I was able to at least host them once they got to the field. Right. Uh, and so starting that sophomore year, we tried to, I think we might've had one, at least once an SEC weekend. Um, so that's 10 SEC weekends. I, I'd like to say we maybe had eight children mm-hmm. total once a weekend-ish, give or take a couple weekends. And we'd uh, host the, ch- the child, the courageous kid, and um, it'd be about 30 minutes before the first pitch. This would be their chance. We were kind of in this dead period where we had finished warming up we kind of it was kind of just a chill moment for the game so the our courageous kid that we were hosting could come in the dugout give high fives talk to some of the teammates yeah. even play a little bit of catch here and there if they were right. willing and able um say hello to the coaches high fives all that stuff um and then eventually be escorted to their seats um and then the game would start hopefully we'd be winning <laughs> <laughs> and then the 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 top of the third comes around three outs and then in between the top of the third and the bottom of the third this is 
absolutely my favorite part of my whole collegiate career. A tradition started at the University of Kentucky where the courageous kid would be welcome in front of the whole crowd to stand and uh, wave to the crowd with their family and our whole crowd would give a big standing ovation mm-hmm. and encourage them to never ever give up and to keep living out that mission that Jesse um, has just encouraged the Jesse Reese Foundation to keep giving. Um, and it got to the point where even the opposing team would stop throwing warm-up pitches and the opposing team would come out of their dugout and start clapping and giving them a standing ovation. And the pitcher would stop, and the catcher would turn around and it was everybody in the stadium. And that kind of naturally happened. It wasn't yeah. really planned. It was kind of just like stand up, give a round of applause to Jimmy who came and is fighting um, cancer and join us and helping him never, ever give up. Right. And just eventually just turned into this awesome standing ovation where everybody was in on it yeah um so we continued doing that throughout my sophomore year um was just an incredible sophomore year um so much fun and then kind of went into my junior year did kind of the same thing in the fall tried making six to eight visits at the, the then we moved into a new stadium did the exact same thing that spring hosted probably around the same amount of kids eight to ten kids um that spring um and i know we're fast forwarding even more now sorry for jumping ahead but no obviously COVID. obviously obviously COVID hit and then my senior year and then this past year we weren't able to host anybody um but my best memories in collegiate sports were those moments where the children their super siblings and their family got that standing ovation just showing the support from our our fan base and i love hearing stories like that because you know, we don't necessarily always get those types of feel good stories from, you know, what's going on at the University of Kentucky baseball team. Like I think of the, the glorified and and it's amazing. And I applaud the University of Iowa for always doing this, but the, the wave Mm -hmm. to the children's hospital, right? Like that you see almost every Saturday on the sports center, but it's even like, Mm -hmm. like you said, it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be 50,000 people that these kids are standing in front of just the you know, a couple thousand people at the university. And I know you guys sell out games, so I'm not trying to downsize. No, 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 no. I I completely get where where you're going with this. Go ahead. But yeah, it's just like, they don't, they never experienced anything like this. The families never experienced anything like this. And, and even like your point that the opposing team never been a part of something like this. So just everyone kind of rallying together to support this kid, put your differences aside, put the opposing's teams aside we're all rooting for this one individual and this family mm-hmm. yep yeah, it's uh it's not necessarily what the plan was from the beginning but it's an absolute blessing that that's what it ended up turning into and i'm so happy that we were able to give the opportunity to the kids to have that experience and and win lose or draw i mean i don't know draw in, in baseball it's just a saying <laughs> yep. but you know mm-hmm. like they they probably go home remembering that rather than if you guys lose 8 to 7 or what you know what i mean yep. or if you guys even blew them out 24 to nothing like it's always going to be that yep. experience and even maybe for the players too like you don't really remember final scores of games and you remember those types of moments outside of yep. the game itself for sure yep exactly but so I wanted to touch base on your time at Kentucky from a playing perspective, right? Yep. Um, a lot of it and some of it was derailed a lot with injuries. I know you had two left hip injuries in, during college, two right knee surgeries uh, during college. What, I mean, TJ, I mean, one of the most selfless people that I know personally, 
during these types of times where you're dealing with injuries, setbacks, recoveries, rehab, all that stuff, where you need to focus on TJ now, how did you put that into perspective and say, hey, I'm doing all these amazing things for other people, but right now I need to focus on me. How do you do that to battle through those types of injuries? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because two, three years ago, I wouldn't have known how to answer it um, at all because I didn't know that that was an option. Um, but to kind of give you just a brief, try to do it really quickly um, overview of my surgeries and experiences, um, going into my senior year of high school, I had a hip surgery, um, torn labrum, got that recovered, came back my senior year, did perfectly fine, still was a high profile baseball player, right on track to achieve all my goals. Right. Um, didn't, didn't get drafted out of high school. Um, I thought I was going to, but didn't get drafted out of high school, a little discouraged, but went on to play in a summer collegiate team out of my hometown. Um, ended up tearing my right PCL, which is in your knee, um, and um, fractured my femur and had a big surgery and was out for almost nine months. That was the surgery I was talking about where I went into college, didn't get to play the fall, and right. then ended up coming back freshman year to hit a little bit. Then going into my sophomore year, this was when kind of the dealing with TJ Collette, the person and the player kind of came, comes in. Um, I had a really rough sophomore year in the in the fall so i'd come off a freshman year that was a little discouraging i had the home run but was not good right um didn't do great came into my sophomore year fully healthy at the point um fully ready to come in and be tj colette the same guy that hit a bunch of home runs in high school the same kid that had all the hype coming into kentucky should have been drafted but went to college just like not in a cocky way but all eyes on me coming into my sophomore year completely healthy sure. i was supposed to be the the guy Right. to come and do well um and in the fall i just couldn't find my group and to be completely honest i fell into this little dark pit um where i couldn't separate tj call it the person from tj call it the player i thought it was all one one person um so i was attributing my life and my worth to <laughs> my level of play mm -hmm. i mean at the time i didn't realize it so i'm this depressed sophomore in college not doing great in school because I just didn't have much drive, wasn't doing good in baseball. And I thought I was the most worthless kid on the planet and on campus. Mm -hmm. Luckily went home for Christmas break, which will cure anything. <laughs> a little bit of mom's cooking uh, never hurt anybody. Yes. Right? A little bit of mom's cooking some presents from Santa. And right. I felt great coming into my sophomore spring season um, came back out of nowhere, I don't know what happened, how it happened, turned into the best hitter again, ever. I was like the best hitter ever. I hit a home run all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember seeing and the I tweets was, too, and just, I mean, I, I always followed Kentucky baseball while you guys were playing, and I was like, oh, there he goes again. No, like, I think you had a gif at, the, at one point where it was just, they would just play the gif. Like, they didn't necessarily always have the replay ready for you, but they had uh -huh. the same gif of you hitting a, a home run. <laughs> yeah, and at that point, that's how it felt too. It just felt yeah. like I couldn't miss I was crushing the ball and because I was putting all my identity in my athletics, obviously I'm the happiest man in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that my purpose on earth is to play baseball and hit home runs. And at that moment in my career, I was hitting home runs, playing baseball. 
I felt worth in my life. Um, but here comes game 30 of the season. We're at University of Georgia. And I hit a ground ball, ran to first base, started feeling something in my hip again. Um, that next Monday, went and got an MRI, found out I had to get surgery again. So end of the season very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, entered that dark pit again really quickly. Yep. Um, so I ended up getting hip surgery, um, spent the summer at home, kind of in that neutral state, um, wasn't super happy, wasn't super sad, kind of got numb to the whole recovery rehab deal. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to go to the Cape that summer, Cape Cod, um, which is for you guys that don't know, it's kind of where the upper echelon of collegiate baseball players go to play baseball during the summer. It's just that league has turned into where some of the better collegiate baseball players go to play in the summer. So um, at that moment, got told I couldn't go because of my injury, but came back in the fall of my junior year, um, started to play good baseball again, um, but not too much because I was going really slow recovering from my hip surgery. Um, so crazy. I, it never gets old telling the story because it's just still just surprises me every time, but was just finishing up recovering from my hip surgery and um, started scrimmaging a little bit, practicing with the team, doing well, and then um, had to get another knee surgery because I started feeling tw- tweaks in my knee from my original surgery. Um, so went in, got a little knee scope. It was a, it was a very, very non-involved surgery, but still had to do it. It was a three-month yeah. recovery. They clean out some stuff. Um, I wasn't in a super dark place from that surgery because it was going to be so short, and I knew that would be ready for season. Um, but at the same time, finished that recovery, got ready for that junior season. And that season was when I started to realize how, or I guess was the very first step of the journey of where I realized how important mental health is in collegiate athletes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the best season ever, but I didn't have the worst ever. I ended up hitting 10 home runs, but my batting average wasn't very high, which for those of you that don't know, batting average is kind of the, it's not turning into anymore, but it's kind of the statistic that defines you as a baseball player. Right. Especially. Um, So even though, yes, especially as a hitter. Mm -hmm. So even though I was hitting home runs, my batting average is low. I was striking out a lot. And I just couldn't get out of this funk where I just thought, and it's going to sound exaggerated, but I just thought I wasn't going to amount to anything in my life because I'm TJ Collette. I was Mr. Baseball in Indiana my senior year. I was Gatorade Player of the Year. I broke records in Indiana in my high school, and I'm supposed to be good at baseball, and I'm not doing great. And I didn't know any different. Right. Um, So lo and behold, season ends, just not a happy person. Now, yes, I'd put on a happy face in front of my teammates, and every single day I'd go up to them and tell them it's a great day to be alive, and um, try to pour into my teammates as much as possible. But bef- behind this facade was just a very lukewarm, disappointed, not very proud TJ. Right. TJ, the player so, looked, TJ, the player looked happy and good. TJ, the person wasn't so much. Was just, yes, right. no, exactly. You put it, you put it perfectly. Um, so this is kind of where it starts to turn a little bit. Thank goodness. 
Um, but going still, even with a bad season, I still was a good high school baseball player. My sophomore year, I did really well. I hit 10 home runs, batting average was 300, but I got injured, so I didn't get drafted. But coming into my junior year, I had a bad season, but I still assumed, I shouldn't have assumed, I assumed that if I wasn't asking for any money or not much money, that a major league team would still draft me. They'd just take a chance on me and take me. So uh, draft day comes along, no calls. Second day comes along, no calls. Third day comes along, no calls. And I am just the most mad person in the world. And to make things even worse, the next morning, I was expected to leave for Cape Cod. So I just, I had just been denied the draft. I had to pack that night um, to get ready to leave for Cape Cod for two months the next morning. Right. And to put the icing on the cake as I was packing up, our power went out in our house. <laughs> so I, it was just everything was at an all time low. Power only goes out at the oh. most inconvenient times. I swear. It's no, it's, it's, it's like clockwork. <laughs> so I get packed up in a pitch black dark, which is way harder than you think. And then the next morning, my mom and I hop in the car and we start driving to Cape Cod. You drove? Um, yeah, because I wanted my car there. Okay, that's fair. That, if I'm, like, if, I'm if you don't have there, a car on Cape Cod, you're pretty much trapped. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if I was going to spend two months there, right, I needed to be able to drive. Right. So I we drove there. driving to Cape Cod, and it's an hour and a half from my apartment in Boston. So I can't oh even imagine gosh, what it's... So, you're so lucky. Cape Cod's my like favorite place on earth other than Terre Haute. I love that. You got to come back. I'll, let's go to Cape Cod when you're in Boston. Oh. Well, well, yeah, we'll get to it. But my my fiance and I were there two months ago. Um, All right. we're, I'm going to cut that part out so that it doesn't look like we aren't friends and, and you didn't text me. <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> I know, looking back, probably should have shot you a text. But Maybe. either way, either way. Continue. Um, so I'm driving to Cape Cod with my mom. I'm not talking because no. I'm so mad at the world and right. depressed and get to Cape Cod, um, go to the first practice, come back. Season's going to start in a couple of days. Um, we have a couple of days to lay low and just get acclimated before we start playing. And for some reason, I like, not literally, but look myself in the mirror and say like, hey, you have a summer in the most beautiful part of the United States. Don't be an idiot and waste it. So then I promised myself that I'd see somewhere um, pretty different day or each day, each morning I'd go and see somewhere different, mm-hmm. take a little adventure. Cause there's enough places in the Cape Cod to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I made that promise to myself that I do that. Um, and it may think, make things even better. Um, I was still mad at the world at that point, but the next day, um, actually not the next day, my first game, after the game, we went out into right field to eat our little dinner as a group, as a team. And this is where the story doesn't get cheesy, but it kind of turns into a little romance. Oh. <laughs> um, this girl is sitting right next to me on these picnic tables as she's a team intern, didn't know her, uh, knew she was from Indiana because a couple nights prior we were in a big meeting and she had introduced herself and said she was from Zionsville, Indiana. And I'm from Terre Haute, which is only an hour apart from each other. So I knew that she was from Indiana, but I didn't have the guts to say anything. But we're sitting next to each other. 
and uh, she introduces herself and we find out um, that her uncle coached me for two years in Indiana. Her dad coached me for a tournament in Indiana. Um, like serendipity here. <laughs> yeah, and to make a to make a very long story short, those adventures I was talking about, she went on the first one with me the next morning, and now we're engaged. And we went on a bit, we went on an adventure every morning, and ended up dating out there, and um, came back to Indiana dating, and kind of went from there. But on top of that, other than the whole romance thing. Um, that summer I learned how, because I started putting value in something outside of baseball, like going to see somewhere pretty every day, spending time on myself. And yeah. on top of that, spending time with Macy, right. um, I started to slowly realize that there's a lot more to the earth, um, uh, my life and my heart and just everything. There's just way more than just baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, I started to learn that TJ call the person is just way different than TJ Collette at the home run here at University of Kentucky. Right. Um, and I started to learn how to have fun playing baseball. It turned into a game again. Once I started realizing that baseball is the game and yeah, I love it and I'm good at it. It didn't define who I was as a person. I started playing my sport extremely free and learned how to play like it kid again like it it sounds cliche but you hear guys say it all the time like I play my best when I play like I was in little league yeah I truly I was truly playing with my heart and just had fun and my worth as a person didn't depend on each of bat going up to the plate and if I struck out I was in a bad mood and if I hit home when I was in a good mood it turned into this <clears throat> very constant um happiness with myself and that's something I took back from that summer into the remainder of my career and that was kind of the turning point for me now obviously I'm not going to pretend like everything was perfect moving forward because mm -hmm. um, anybody that has struggled with mental health things or even if you haven't struggled with mental health you know that every day is not great I mean you still have to continue to learn and not deal with but live life um but that was definitely the summer that completely changed my life and taught me that mental health is important to recognize and be conscious of and to spend time on yourself and not just what you think your life revolves around. Right, you know? right. I, I completely agree. In your story of peaks and valleys, right, you, you were at the top of your game, then very quickly brought back down to ground level right with with all the different injuries with all the different surgeries and just knowing from an athlete's perspective right it's not like you can get into that 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 peak again right away it's recovery mm -hmm. you hate rehab because like i don't know about you but if i ever went to whenever i went to pt especially in a sport like swimming where you, if you're out for three days you already feel like garbage so it's like for me it yeah. was like i'm out for a week like are you kidding me i won't be ready to go for like another month so that was what I was going through with my injuries and my senior year and stuff, like it was the, the two things that I credit to my success and in more so like the mental health side of being a college athlete was my support system. And then two, the outlet, like having something other than swim practice, weight training, team meetings, all that stuff to have. Mm -hmm. For me, it was like, I, I, I like my, my swim coach will tell me, to this day that I stretched myself too thin athletically 
for to do things like being an orientation leader, being an admissions advancer, um, doing the things with Team Nigu. Like I literally flew to Orlando, Florida a day before my last final exam to go stuff joy jars with Team Nigu down in Florida. And so mm-hmm. like, but it was, but for me, it was like, it doesn't matter because what I'm doing is making me Jared Magazine, the person way more happier than I was when I was sitting in the, on the PT table doing a, you know, a, a massage or something yep. like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's be- becoming more of that Jared Magazine, TJ Collette, the person than just the the guy who hits stingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you started to realize this too. You brought up being like having outlets. Now, obviously the Jesse Reese Foundation was an outlet for me, but for mm-hmm. those of you listening that may be going through similar situations such as Jared and I went through. Um, I fast, I really quickly learned how important support systems are as far as teammates go and family and everybody surrounding you and this even the staff that you're around that care about you mm-hmm. before that depression and anxiety and like completely lost in the world like almost made you hesitant to reach out to people or form relationships and pour into other people because you're embarrassed um it was almost like forbidden to bring up your your mental state right or like it's just like it just wasn't not allowed but it's just like you, it's just something you didn't do but the second that I started being completely open with the way my mind was working and where I was mentally number one that served as an outlet to me to connect with my teammates but then all of a sudden you'll find that your teammates start talking right back at you yeah and then then all of a sudden you serve as an outlet to them for them to be able to speak out to you and going into my senior year and my fifth year I vowed to myself that I would provide that outlet to freshmen and sophomores. So they didn't have to wait until they were seniors and fifth years right? to have that outlet. Yeah. The thing for me was destigmatizing this, like this notation of you can't talk about mental health as an athlete. Like it's, it's more so we need to talk about mental health as people because at the first, you know, first and foremost, we're people first. Right. And, you know, I, and like, I'm sure you experienced this at the University of Kentucky, playing in the SEC, playing for a Power Five conference. Everyone else thinks you're, you're getting everything handed to you. So you, there's no way you can struggle with mental health. You, you don't even know what that is, right? Because everything's served to you on a silver platter. So, and 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 even even too at like Providence College, like a more mid-major, it still was the same type of yeah, it's like, still the same thing. It's still the same type of feeling, but it's like no, if anything, it's glorified because like you you're on this grand stage and and like for you one strikeout was like the end all be all you know the most detrimental thing to your day to your week to your month and going back to our conversation about like how one day can kind of make that domino effect into bigger and bigger and bigger things like i just always when i was becoming a junior and senior was like freshmen and sophomores if you're struggling with something talk to us we're your teammates because like to your point those are the people who are going to know how to talk to you about it mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, just like the one day turning into a week, week turning into a month. It's just like when you put all your eggs into one basket and put your identity into your sport, it just yeah. affects your whole life. And at the at the moment, you may not realize that it's impacting you that much. But once you kind of find out that piece and learn how to lean on others and recognize your worth outside of your sport, um, you look back and you think that you're so silly that you 
like it's also like once you can accept and be okay with getting over that stigma as an athlete and not to I don't want to downplay mental health on non-athletes at all but right. there's this whole suck it up mentality as an athlete um that you're just expected to any hardship overcome automatically because that's just what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. where sometimes overcoming that hardship is being vulnerable and leaping that hurdle that way being vulnerable recognizing that you're you need help getting the help that you need whether that's medicine or therapy or even just support systems throughout your team um recognizing that that's the route that you have to take is sucking it up is being tough and getting over it um, by taking the steps necessary and i hope that people can learn that and um I've decided recently that that is a message that I want to share. And it's just a blessing that you're having me on to help start that process. Absolutely. I mean, I could talk about, we could do a whole nother episode just on that. (laughs) Right. I know. And I think too, because I want to touch on this as an athlete and having the experiences with mental health that we did, like to your point, I don't want to downplay mental health challenges that the non-athletic non-athlete college students go through. That being said, too, I think as an athlete, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, checking in with your teammates, being able to connect with your teammates, talking about, you know, talking about what you're going through with your teammates. Sometimes it gets kind of like, you know, overlooked because they're like, well, dude, I'm going through the same thing and I'm fine. And like, uh, you know, like not to be, they're not trying to be rude, but they're just like, it's no. from their own experiences. So what I have found too, was finding my friends that weren't athletes to to resonate with to vent to to say like hey this is what i'm going through and i and i don't expect you to understand what i'm going through mm-hmm. really i just need someone to talk to and and then going to you know i i you know going to someone else professionally to speak about this with was more important too obviously <laughs> yeah no of course and just and that support can come in all shapes and sizes um and like i won't lie it was very hard to find that person on your team first because it's hard to be vulnerable and reach out to somebody and make that first step right um but once you do it's just very liberating to know that somebody can relate and have an outlet to be able to talk to um and that came in all shapes and sizes for me even with coaches there's some coaches that i talked to that related to me Mm -hmm. teammates um our psychiatrist at the university of kentucky was able to meet with me and be an outlet for me. Um, and no one experience is the exact same, but um, I would like to think, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I would like to think that there is an outlet for almost anybody um, in whatever circumstance there is, even if that means one one person to help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in kind of keeping with our theme of never, ever giving up, I, I also watched your chat with Supercade and, you know, you told him that your biggest accomplishment as an athlete at the University of Kentucky was, you know, battling through those peaks and valleys that we've talked about today. So if we had to boil it down to you get, you know, five minutes with that 14, 15, 16 year old, that's about to dive into something like a collegiate career and, and, probably experience these peaks and valleys because I don't care what anyone says, everyone has their own ups and downs. 
what's that one piece of advice that you would want to give that individual before they, they step foot on the, on that field? And I'll be completely transparent with you. That's a really hard question because at that age, it's very hard to understand. And I'm saying that out of experience for myself, it's hard to get advice from somebody at that age and know, but the advice I'd give is to find something like, even if it takes forcing yourself, find something that you have a passion for outside of your sport. Yeah. And for me, it was that summer where I found a passion for seeing beautiful places, like just taking it, like, and that sounds a little cheesy and like simple, but that was my passion that I found that summer that reminded me that there's more. Um, but for those of you in high school that are experiencing some success or even not success, or you're going into your senior year and you don't think you're going to play collegiate sports after your senior year, try your hardest to find a passion or a love for something outside of your sport. Recognize that there are, there is a, we'll use my name. There is the TJ call at the baseball player and that does hold value in your life, but that's only a small portion of TJ Collette, the brother, mm-hmm. TJ Collette, the now uncle, the TJ Collette, the now son, TJ Collette, the fiance, TJ Collette, the um, son-in-law, TJ Collette. Like there's so many, there's so many TJ Collettes that should take a bite out of your life. And it's easier said than done, but it's just, it's just kind of what has to happen is put your eggs in a bunch of baskets and recognize that even though your sport is extremely important to you, that it in no way defines your character, your worth or life. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't have said it any better myself because that's honestly the same exact thing that I would tell, you know, the next swimmer, because, you know, the, the house of cards that you build on your sport is so is so easily you know able to fall down because in like you know it right injuries you know sickness whatever can derail a sports career but it's hard to derail somebody's passion for something somebody's drive to do something somebody's you know and the people that you meet it's hard to derail those types of things where something as simple as a knee injury jogging the first base can really take a take a turn for your career and so that's the exact same thing I would tell people is, you know, diversify your portfolio for lack of a better term and really get yeah, into uh-huh. other things outside of that sport. Because when that sport ends and it will end, whether it is professionally, whether it is after your senior year of high school, senior year of college, what's going to be your next move? Yeah. And there's in the vast majority of cases, it's more than half a life left. Oh, yeah. Like even okay. if you play professional sports, you still have way more than half of a life left to live that isn't revolved around what you think is your whole life. Yeah, the only person yeah. that I think might not have that story to tell is Tom Brady. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see. He's probably going to live until he's like 150s. Right. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. But so, in yes. speaking of that next chapter after the 21 or sorry, the 2021 season, you retired from the sport of baseball and turning the page to that next chapter, maybe one that you weren't necessarily planning on writing right now, but how have you prepared to step away from the game and from a player's perspective and move into this new time in your life? Yeah, that's a really good question. Cause it's something I'm extremely passionate, passionate about right now. Um, so the steps that I took that I didn't necessarily know was going to help me so much and what I'd recommend to others um, it's a little not to say baseball is different than other sports, but 
it's really, really hard to get an internship in baseball because in the summer, you're getting sent to play baseball this summer. And then in the fall and spring, you're just too busy to be able to do internships or get a job. Right. And then the winter is only a month break. Um, but I would recommend to all the other sports and baseball to find a way how to get involved with an organization that lets you do some sort of internship. And for me, that looked like a winter internship going into um, my final season. So this past winter, um, I did an internship with a company called RJL Solutions. Um, they do everything from marketing, um, lobbying to grant writing and PR, um, kind of a little bit of everything. But right. Um, the CEO, Rachel Leslie, um, welcomed me into this little one-month intern. Honestly, probably as a little bit of a favor. Um, she knew my situation and thought it'd be good for me to get involved and get that experience. And that was my first taste of something outside of baseball. Uh, but that was also my first taste of something else to offer the world than hitting home runs. Right. Like, okay. I could see myself doing this. I could see myself adding value to my life by helping others, our clients, mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. And that internship gave me a little bit of peace going into this final season, knowing whether I get drafted or not. Um, I know that I have the skill set and the drive to do something outside of baseball. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the key once my season ended to giving myself the peace going into a profession outside of baseball. Yeah. Um, taking that first jump into interviewing for a job, getting the job, um, going into your first day extremely nervous because you've never done anything other than play your sport. Um, and then trusting yourself to be able to grow and learn um, and use those skills that you learn throughout your sport <laughs> to give you an advantage. And right thrive in your in your new role in society um but that internship was the first step for me and i'm sure first steps are different for everybody but having a good internship that shows you that you have more to offer to the world than just your sport gave me that driving factor behind me to know that i'm capable of more than i ever thought i was totally um, but thankfully i had yeah i had a really good internship that brought out the best in me and that was a huge help yeah, and and you bring up like a, a, an interesting point because like for those that weren't looking to get drafted or move into a professional sport realm, like it's that end to your career. Although you know when it's coming, the last meet, the last race, whatever it is, that's going to come. It's like how well are you prepared once that moment ends, right? For me, it was like it was a blessing that I was I was I had a job lined up in December of my senior year. Um, and the, my season didn't end until the end of February. So like, that was kind of like the nice, like check box for me. However, that last race and that last, you know, the last meet, the championship meet, I was still like, oh my God, like swimming Jared is, is done. Like whatever, yeah. like, even though I still have the next step lined up, I have the, you know, the rough draft of the next chapter. I have no idea what that type of Jared is going to be, what that's going to amount yep. to, who he's going to turn into. So I think it's too, like, if you need to take time to figure that out, figure out how you want to write that next chapter, by all means, mm -hmm. take that. But it is always a nice caveat to your point in having that at least ex uh, initial experience in lining up to that next chapter for sure. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a blessing and, 
it's very intimidating. Um, and even just recognizing that if you talk, I'm sure you've talked to plenty of people, but even just recognizing people like you and me have experienced that same type of intimidation and uncertainty <laughs> and anxiety going into a completely different world. Even just recognizing that and truly understanding that other people are going through it helped me just knowing, okay, if Jared could do it, I can do it. If my brother, if my brother could do it, I can do it. Right. If all these people can do it, I can do it. Um, and that, that helped me as well. And I know that's not always like the number one thing that helps, but um, that, that mindset helped for me as well. Almost more intimidating than going up against Vanderbilt in the, in the, your last, you know, last home, home season of this, you know, before they went and, and uh, competed for the national championship, like the intimidation of like lining up your next career path is still going to be just as intimidating as facing up against the number one ranked pitcher, whatever it may be. One, like, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's uh, just as, if not way more <laughs> intimidating. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to totally botch. The, I, I don't want to botch this quote from Kobe Bryant, but it's like, he said something like, be this be the same beast in a different animal or something like that and it's like that's exactly what this is it's like you're facing it's a whole a, different whole, beast right <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but so uh kind of to wrap around uh your whole career at Kentucky and bring it full circle right beyond the dingers that you hit at Kroger Field how do you want to be remembered TJ Collette at the University of Kentucky um, that's a good question. I'd probably say a good teammate and in a very loose general term, just a friend. Like, I hope that the people who met me um, and were to look back on their experiences with me, they'd feel warmth and love, acceptance, and just even if we didn't know each other extremely well, would consider me a friend. Um, because yeah, like the home runs are cool and the wins are cool. And, but these three months away from my sport, I don't think I've thought about hitting home runs once. I've thought about the like conversations in the locker room, the friendly banter between my teammates. Right. Like, it's going to sound weird, but even like not the class, not the homework, in the schoolwork, but the class projects, like working with other students that are in my major, getting to know them, um, just like the camaraderie behind playing a sport and being a part of the university is the stuff that I miss. So mm -hmm. if I were to hope that people were reminded me for one thing, it'd probably be a friend and a good teammate. I love that. I love that. Well, TJ, we have one final question for you. And I don't know if, if our friend Corey prepped you with this, but uh, uh, no, it's a, it's, <laughs> perfect. It's a question that we ask all of our guests. No, don't, don't stress too much because uh, I okay. think, I think I know where this is going. Um, you have so much left to do. You have so much left to give to society, give to the world. But if you were to write it all in your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? Oh, I know the answer to this actually. <laughs> and it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be literally what I just talked about. It'd be <laughs> TJ Colette, a friend. And it's so funny that you asked this because a part of my intern or my interview process with the current job that I'm working, 
one of the interviewers asked that exact same question. I love that. And I, and I, yeah, I know. And I had to um, literally ask for time. I, I was like, people, wow, people on this really podcast nice. have done that too. Don't worry. Yeah. I, I was like, wow, that's a really good question. Do you mind if I like sit on it for a second and like take 30 seconds and think? And they're like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's exactly like if it's just exactly what i'd be wanted to be remind or remembered for it's just mm-hmm. if i had an autobiography it'd be tj call it a friend and <laughs> i love that that'd be what i that'd be what i call it um but yep so awesome. <laughs> easier quite easier answer than i thought because i've thought about it there you go there you go i was gonna say people trust me people have taken their time and that's all fine because that's like you're you just finished telling your whole story up to today right so it's like how do you want to write it what do you want to title it and that's always the hardest thing like you can tell the story you can write the story but like how do you encompass it with one title you know what i mean like don't judge a book by its cover but still <laughs> yeah no it's it's really it's uh i mean being able to explain something in a general way it's pretty powerful Exactly. Um, exactly. I love that question. Exactly. I love that question. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, TJ, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad that it's been a while, but I'm glad that we got to reconnect finally and share your story. So again, thank you so much. I've had an absolute blast. And I hope you did too. It was, it was so much fun. And thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to start this process with you mm-hmm. to kind of ending the stigma around student um, athletes and mental health and helping share my story and jumpstart that process. So it uh, means the world. And thank you so, uh, so much for what you do. Absolutely. And the next time you're in Cape Cod, if I don't get a text from you, I'm, I'm going to be personally offended. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'll set, I'll set a reminder right now. So. <laughs> All right, TJ, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Jared. It's good seeing you. So a big thank you to my dear friend, TJ Collette, for coming on this week's show and sharing more of his story. This story is not done, and there's so much more that TJ has to give to this world, and I'm so excited that you came here to listen and learn about the story of TJ Collette. Uh, We're going to leave all things TJ in the description of this week's podcast, so be sure to go follow him on Instagram, TikTok, all things social media. If you want to donate to the Jesse Reese Foundation after listening to this week's episode and hearing more about the mission that the foundation has set forth, honoring Jesse's uh, goal to encourage every kid battling cancer to never, ever give up. We're also going to leave a link to the the foundation's website where you can learn more and see how you can get involved within your community, within your workspace, whatever it may be. I encourage you all to find a way to get involved with this incredible foundation. They have done so much for me and I love each and every one of the people at that foundation. So we're going to leave those in the description of this week's podcast. As we announced last week, we just dropped brand new normal guy, lazy eye merch. As you may know, if you follow me on uh, Instagram, I'm actually running my first marathon at the end of October. So we're going to have a couple of those fresh nike tees with the normal guy lazy eye logo on them maybe seeing me uh maybe seeing me uh run around boston area with those shirts on but anyways that does it for this week's episode a big thank you to tj and a big thank you to you guys the listeners for continuing to come back and show your support for this show it would not be possible without you guys so that does it and i will see you all next week